I want you to think with me this morning of four people and their attitudes towards church. First is John. He follows Jesus, but he's not really into organized religion. He feels he worships best by going for a hike on Sunday. Leanne, she's a church hopper. Here for a while, then there for a while, and pretty much somewhere every Sunday. Then there's Natasha. She found a great singles group, always there on Wednesday night, and shows up at church in the morning when the sermon seems likely to be interesting. And then there's Joseph. He loves the preaching at this church, but tends to slip out right afterwards. Never really thought about joining. What's the point anyways? Well, what do all of these people have in common? Well, each of these individuals see themselves as Christians. But they see the church as pretty much unrelated to their faith. And they all share a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian. This morning, I wanted to take a moment, take a pause, a break from our Colossians series as we've been thinking in the book of Colossians about our life together, to think about church membership, particularly thinking about what do members do? What are our responsibilities for one another? How do we care for one another? How do we relate to one another? Now, so if you're visiting this morning, our regular diet of preaching here on the Lord's Day is expositional preaching. We just simply take books of the Bible and we preach verse by verse through them. And so this morning is going to be a little abnormal as we consider a more topical approach to thinking, what does the New Testament say about the church, and particularly church members, uh, those who are members of this congregation? And so hopefully, winsomely, I hope to convince you, if you're not a member of this local church or a local church wherever you live, uh, friend, I hope to commend you joining in, if you understand yourself to be a Christian, that joining a local church and participating in the way I hope to describe is what it means to be a Christian. That joining a local church and participating in that body is fundamental to being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, to help us think about this and to sort of form our thoughts, I wanted to begin in Hebrews chapter 10. Now again, we're not going to expositionally go verse by verse through Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, But I wanted to consider here a picture of the church in Hebrews chapter 10. And we'll return to this later on in the sermon, but I wanted to begin here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Now, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, I just want to encourage you to take that pew Bible there in front of you, open it, and then take it home with you and read it regularly. We have plenty of them. We'll replace it. But we want it to be your, a gift to you from our congregation. It's found on page 1007 or thereabout in the Pew Bibles, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, we see here in this passage as we open up a number of ideas, a number of relationships that are presented. Number one, we see that as Christians, the local church is a place where we help one another hold fast to a confession of faith. We hold one another to a particular... And so we see then that members of a local church ought to be Christians. They ought to be Christians. We see also in this passage that we ought to love one another. Notice what he says, how to, how to stir one another up to love and good works. That we have a responsibility as members of this church to love and help one another's follow Jesus. Notice here also in verse 25 that we ought to gather regularly, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. That is, the regular gathering on the Lord's Day is what it means to be a Christian. It's not for the super-Christian, the elite Christian, but for the ordinary Christian. It's what it means to follow Jesus. And then finally, we see here, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you say today, drawing near. In other words, we ought to be actively involved in helping one another until Jesus comes again. We ought to be helping one another get to heaven. That part of our journey together is a journey helping one another, encouraging one another. With that in mind, I want to ask you a question. What is church membership? I want to give you a number of definitions, and then I'll give you sort of our definition. First, one author defines church membership as a covenant of union between a particular church and a Christian. A covenant... That is a formal agreement. So a covenant is a formal agreement. A covenant that consists of the church's affirmation of their Christian gospel profession, the church's promise to give oversight to the Christian, and the Christian's promise to gather with the church and submit to its oversight. So fundamentally, it's Christian and church relationship. Here's another author's definition. One author defines it this way, that biblical membership means a commitment or covenanting in a formal agreement. It means taking responsibility, that is, both parties. It means a salvation is affirmed, that the church is affirming their profession of faith. And finally, it has to be meaningful in that it is formal and genuine. Here's the definition I'm giving you. That church membership is a covenantal commitment between Christians and a particular local church whereby the church affirms their profession of faith and promises to help them follow Jesus by regularly gathering together and submitting to the leadership of the congregation. This is what we see expressed here in Hebrews chapter 10. We see it's Christians committing together. We see a church's responsibility to affirm. So notice there verse 22, we didn't read that. 
Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The language the author is using there is that we are regenerate people. All right, that's the language he's using there. And so he says that the, the, the congregation needs to be regenerate and that we hold fast to what? The confession of our hope without wavering. In other words, we have a common doctrine that we all affirm. A common faith that we all affirm. In this particular congregation, it is the Baptist faith and message. That we come along and we say, this is what we believe the gospel is, and this is what we believe the Bible teaches. And so when someone presents themselves for membership, we are affirming them and saying, yes, their life matches their profession. Not only that, we see in this definition here that it is a promise that we will help them follow Jesus. That we have a responsibility to help one another individually follow Jesus. Now as we think about this this morning, I want us to to, to think about it through a series of questions. Number one, before we think about church membership, we have to define what is a church. Because see, if we're confused about what a church is, then naturally we're going to be confused about what a church member is. Secondly here, what does a church do? So we need to sort of separate out what is the mandate of the individual Christian and what is the mission of the church. You see, a lot of churches conflate the two. They get confused about what is the mission of the church and the mandate of the individual Christian. I'll give you one example, food pantries. It is not the mission of the church to feed the poor, but it is the mandate of the individual Christian to feed the poor. You see the difference? What is the church to do versus what does the Christian do? And then finally, how do we relate to one another? How do we care for one another? And this is really where I want to land finally this morning on our care for one another. Number one, what is a church? What does the New Testament say? Well, number one, we see that, simply put, a church is a gathering. The word itself, ecclesia, the word that Jesus uses in Matthew 18 when he's talking about church discipline. When he says, hey, if you've got a brother in sin and you confront him in his sin and he still doesn't repent, and then you get a couple other brothers together and you confront him in their sin and he's still still not repenting of his sins, Jesus says, go tell it to the church. The ecclesia, the the gathering of Christians. It is an assembling together of. One author defines it this way. A local church is a group of Christians who regularly gather in Christ's name to officially affirm and oversee one another's membership in Jesus Christ and his kingdom through gospel preaching and gospel ordinances. This is one of the points that the Protestant reformers were clarifying in the Reformation. And through the Reformation, it was clear that Protestants believed that a biblical church was one that had the right preaching of the gospel and the right administration of the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, if you remember back to what you read earlier from our statement of faith, that is essentially a Protestant affirmation fundamentally of what a church is. A New Testament church is a group, a gathering of baptized believers 
born-again believers, regenerate believers, that has the right gospel and the right administration of the ordinances. Or, fundamentally, as we heard earlier in Acts chapter 2, is that the church is a regenerate group of people. That the church is made up of Christians. Now, I know that in our day of inclusivity, it is not vogue to divide over this matter. There are churches that have the stance, hey, let's everybody come and you just, you just come on, everybody. But that is not what the Bible presents as a picture of a church. A church is the affirming of regenerate members that are in covenant relationship with one another. They're in a committed relationship. And we saw that in Acts chapter 2. Listen again, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. They were devoted to apostolic teaching. Well, friend, what do you think we're doing here every Lord's Day when I'm opening the Bible and I say, well, Paul said this and, and Peter said that? We're devoting ourselves to the apostolic teaching. Those were apostles. that We are teaching the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. And the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. Notice here this emphasis on gathering together. They were a body. And they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings. And day by day they attended the temple together with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. We see in this passage that they gathered together regularly. There was an intentionality on their part in their relationships. They met in each other's homes. They shared with each other. This isn't a picture of early communism. It's a, it's a picture of Christianity. Now I'm going to step on your toes for just a moment, because you know me. I've been around here like a whole couple weeks, and you already know that's my thing. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question here about how they, how they loved on one another. Number one, they created intentional relationships so that they could be in each other's homes. When's the last time you were in another church member's home? When's the last time you invited someone into your home? Well, my home's a mess. So what? Mine is too. You see, we... we we're so driven by pride and idolatry and what people think about us and what they're gonna, how they're going to judge us. Friend, if, if Jesus has died for you, then, then there is no condemnation for those in Christ. You need to worry about how clean your house is. Well, we, all I care about is how clean your heart is. That's why we're getting together. So we can follow Jesus. We can help one another in an intentional relationship. Number two, they shared with one another. They didn't need to have spaghetti dinners to raise funds. They didn't need to auction off pies in order to raise funds. They just said, here's my wallet, take what you need. I don't need a gimmick in order to give. I give because I want to love you and generally, sacrificially give to you because, because you matter to me, because I love you. I don't need to get something in order to give you something. The Christian gospel says we received everything without doing a single thing, you see. They enjoyed and supported leadership God gave them. They obeyed the apostles. 
And they spent time together in prayer. When's the last time you invited someone over just so you could pray? It's just like, open the Bible, let's just pray. You see, the church is, is a people, not a place. This, this building, when you come up here during the week, it's not a church. It's a church right now because the church is assembled in this space. All throughout the week, it's just an empty old building. Kind of creepy, too. But right here, this is the church gathered together. The church is a people and not a statistic. It's not some number that we report out through the annual church profile. It's a people gathered together, regenerate, born again, gathered in one particular place called a church. And if we don't rightly understand what a church is, then we will not rightly live as church members. Membered means that we are together and not apart. It's more about the corporate than the individual. It's about the gathering, not me. It's a place where we lay aside our personal preferences in order that Jesus would be made big. What does the church do? What is the mission of the church? Well, we learn in the book of Ephesians as we study this book that the church is the vehicle by which God's plan of redemption is made visible. In other words, the local church's mission is to give God the glory for the great things he's done. It is to display the glory of God. Well, well, in the context of Ephesians, what displayed the glory of God? It was Jew and Gentile being gathered and assembled together under the lordship of the Messiah. People who wouldn't even share the same room together, gathered together from every tribe. What gives God the glory? What we heard in that song that the choir sang, that, that, that is about the redeemed from all the ages. God's work of calling every tribe, tongue, and nation. Do you recognize the people sitting around you, you would have nothing to do with have it not been the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Had God not rescued you, you would have never met me. You would have never met those around you. But it is, the, it is the gospel on display. Jesus says in John 13, 34, a new co- covenant, or commandment rather, I give you, that you ought to love one another just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another so that, so that what? The, so that the world would know that you are my disciples. We ought to love one another as a display of God's glory. We love people who aren't lovable. We love people who aren't like us, who don't think like us, who don't agree with us on every finer doctrinal matter. We love them sacrificially because Jesus first loved us. What does the church do? It loves. Now be clear here. Love between Christians is not extra credit. It is essential. Show me a Christian who doesn't love, and I'll show you someone who is not a Christian. 
Christians love. That's what they do. That's part of being born again. That's part of receiving the new heart. And if you don't love, you have no assurance that God has intervened in your life. And we will not affirm you in, your Christi- in that form of Christianity. As a congregation, we ought never to affirm someone who is hateful and unloving and ungracious and unkind because that does not evidence one who has been born again by the blood of Jesus. The church is messy, friends. If you hope to be a part of a church that was perfect, just be, be patient because one day when you get to heaven, you'll be a part of that church. But until then, you'll never be a part of one. You can go to any church in this town that proclaims the name of Jesus and there's going to be problems. This church has problems. It's about, about time we recognize that. Every church has problems and it's okay. All right? Why? It, it, because it's made up of sinners that God is working to, to redeem, that God is sanctifying. The church will hurt you. Perhaps this church has hurt you. Or perhaps a church has hurt you. The church is never easy. And that's the whole point. Don't don't you get it? If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what reward will you get? You see, the world operates like Hallmark. They love the lovable. They love sentimentally. They love emotionally. But biblical love is sacrificial love. You love people who don't talk like you, who don't think like you, who don't look like you, who don't have the same economic or educational background as you, that don't have the same upbringing as you, that aren't even from the same country as you. You love them. Because they're a brother or a sister in Christ. This is why a small group of people just like you can't do it. That's why a singles group isn't a church. That's why a men's ministry isn't a church. That's why attending church but not investing in relationship misses the point. If you just show up here and leave, you miss the point. It's about committed relationship. So many Christians live in a holy life in isolation. But I have a question for you. How is it that you can obey the great commandment of loving one another if you don't have relationship with anybody? The command isn't to love self, but to love other Christians. See, God has set apart a particular people to display His glory through the church. The church is the place where God's glory is put on display. The mission of this church should be to give God the glory. And here's the deal. When we seek to do church our way, we rob God of his glory. There is nothing about a dying or declining church that declares God's glory. But a church sold out for Jesus, where we get to a place where it's not about my preference for the church, about your preference, what we should be doing, we need to ditch that language and start saying, well, what does Jesus want for this church? When we get to that place, then we're on the road to displaying his glory. Well, as we think about that, 
What is Jesus' mission for the church? How are we to relate to one another? I want us to consider here four points of relationship this morning. Four categories. Regularly in the New Testament, we see the exhortation of the one another's. This is the basic building block of relationship in the church. One another. The one another is the community. And again, we're talking about here a formal commitment between you and a church, between you and another group of Christians, whereby there is the regular preaching of God's word and the right administration of the ordinances, to use the Protestant definition of that. It is made up of regenerate, baptized believers of the Lord Jesus Christ covenanted formally together in a relationship. So if you have formally joined this church, how are you to relate to other Christians? If you're in the process of joining this church or you're a member of some other church, you're just you know, coming by today, you're visiting, you're, you're in town. How do you, as a Christian, relate to other Christians? What we call church membership. Well, number one, as we just said, we ought to love one another. The chief virtue of a Christian is love. 1 Peter 2.17 says that we are to love the brotherhood of believers. We ought to love the brotherhood, the sister, the congregation. We ought to love the church. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. We ought to care for those in the congregation. In other words, if you're a member of this church and you can't stand anyone in this church, I wonder what you mean by saying you're a part of this church. Because it seems you just want to be amputated from the church or you've amputated yourself. As I said earlier, love in the local church is not easy. Romans 15.1 says we are... We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Or Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We show love for one another as we sacrificially give up of our time and our energy in order to minister to those around us. Love without commitment does not say anything great about the gospel. Uh, Just like in marriage. I mean, imagine a marriage where there's a commitment that doesn't mean anything. In marriage, when you married your spouse, there was an exchange of vows. And in that, you said that you would care for one another, love one another, till death do us part. Now, church membership isn't a perpetual, you know, we're, we're, we're in this forever, but it is a, a formal commitment where we say, hey, you know what? I, I'm committed to you as you're committed to me. And again, notice here that this isn't just for the mature Christian. This is for all Christians. This is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian, friend. Secondly, we ought to encourage one another. I began with that passage in, in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us... Consider, he says, how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Encouragement. 
Again, notice here, it's not that we are to encourage everyone generally, that we're just to go around Avon Park just encouraging every little person we come by, but we're to encourage who? Those who gather with us. The one another. It's the defined group of people. It's not a come all, see all. You are responsible for a particular group of people. Friend, this is the point as I share the words of another author. Maybe God's plan is about more than your own individual holiness. You know, evangelicalism in America has drifted into the spirit of the age. Individualism. That it's all about me and my felt needs and my, what I want. It's all about me, me, me. And you're part of that culture. The church is not about me. It's not about me having a personal time with Jesus when I gather on the Lord's Day. It's not about that at all. It's about, it's about those around me. And perhaps by pouring your life into other people in a committed fashion, those who are weaker in the faith will be strengthened and God will be glorified. Perhaps when you gather here and we sing, it's more than you singing your favorite song, but singing the song that will encourage your brother and sister in the pew next to you behind you or in front of you because they doubt whether or not they're saved and they needed to hear you tell them this morning that he will hold you fast they needed you to affirm the truth of the gospel by you singing as loud as you can that though you're Love is often cold. He will hold you fast. It's going to be okay, brother. It's going to be okay, sister. You see, that's how we encourage one another. With word and song. We also ought to guard one another. Guard one another. Notice here, in Hebrews, if we turn over to chapter 12 and verse 15. We're told in there, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God? You mean I have a responsibility to help someone else get to heaven? That's what he says. And that's the context of what he says it in. He gives a whole list of people who failed to inherit the promise of God because of sin, the the, the fleeting nature of sin. And he gives these examples about those who had people in their life that helped them. And he says, listen to me, y'all. You've been a part of a family to help one another. We have a responsibility to guard one another. And this is where it gets messy, doesn't it? Calling someone else out in their sin. You know, that's what it means to be a Christian. You can't say that you love a brother or sister while they're committing sexual immorality and you say nothing about it. Or while they're gossiping or backbiting or have unrighteous anger. You can't say that you're loving them and encouraging them and allowing them to perpetuate in unrepentant sin. All you're doing is helping them go to hell. 
That's all you're doing. That's all we're doing as a congregation. We have a responsibility to to help one another, to guard one another. Jesus teaches in Matthew 18 that the church has a responsibility to confront sin. Now, I know that that is not the Christianity you might be accustomed to, but that is the Christianity of the Bible. And Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 teaches the church that we have a corporate responsibility to deal with sin, known, unrepentant sin, and that there are mechanisms and processes in place given clearly in the Bible of dealing with Christians who think they're Christians, but they're not. And it is not loving to allow someone and affirm someone who thinks that they are going to heaven when in all reality that their life testifies that they are unregenerate and that they are on a fast train to hell. And our responsibility is winsomely and lovingly to speak the truth in love and to call them to repentance and faith. Not to cast them aside, not to just kick them out of the church, but to graciously, lovingly give them over to Satan that their souls might be saved. Friend, you might be tempted to say, well, I know my own heart. The Bible says your heart is desperately wicked. Friend, we can be deceived. Sin is a slippery slope. We want to understand that because we're prone to self-deception, that the church is like an assurance of salvation co-op. That's why we regularly take the Lord's Supper as an opportunity for us to reflect, am I following Jesus? And that's the conversations we ought to have individually. Friend, brother, sister, how are you doing following Jesus? Are you reading your Bible? Are, are, you, are, you, uh, are you praying how are you doing fighting sin? Is there, is there any sin that you're ensnared in right now, brother? Because I want to help you get out of it. Yeah, yeah, let me tell you about it. You see, when we come in here with smiles on our face and, and with shallow relationships, we don't forge the kind of soil that's needed in order to deal with the brokenness of life. I doubt my salvation. I doubt whether or not I'm a Christian because of my unrepented sin. You see? We need relationships in order to help one another follow Jesus. Friend, it is a loving thing to do for not only that brother or sister, but for a lost and dying world. You see, when we're not willing to confront sin, we're telling the world, we're telling the, the citizens of Avon Park that, look, you can live however you want and it's okay. We're actually helping our community go to hell when we don't deal with sin in our own hearts and the lives of the members of this church. Friend, this is how the world sees whether or not we're really genuine. One of the, one of the best testimonies I've ever heard is non-Christians coming and hearing a church like ours singing loudly. And this is what they say. They're like, man, these folks actually believe what they're singing. That's what we want to cultivate, a life where we testify that we live out what we sing. We live out what we believe. We're not perfect. We're not sinless. But we're seeking together to guard one another against sin. Fourthly, responsibilities of a, of a member of a local church is to obey your leaders. 
We live in a culture that this is a dirty word, obey, all right? We live in a society, look, obedience and the lack thereof of submission is as old as Genesis 3, all right? So this is a sin, this is a human nature problem, but this is a particular cultural problem. And Hebrews 13, 17, and I know you might not like that verse, and you might want to be like Thomas Jefferson and just get your scissors out and cut it out of your Bible, but if you believe in the full inspiration of the Spirit, and you believe in the full inerrancy of Scripture, then you believe that Hebrews 13, 17 is God's infallible, inerrant word. It's as if Jesus of Nazareth is speaking it to us this morning. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, I want to say a couple things about that. This implies that your leaders are living godly lives and living and leading in holiness. In other words, if you have a leader who is not leading you to follow Jesus, you have no obligation to obey or submit to them. All right? So if the elders of this church are leading in a way that is contrary to the will of God, it doesn't mean you blindly obey them and blindly submit to them. But in so much as they are leading you to follow Jesus, there is a responsibility to obey and submit. This is a pastor-led congregation. This is not a congregation-led church. Southern, Southern Baptists are not congregationally led in that way. It isn't, you know, a hundred people like leading. That seems quite confusing. We'll go in a hundred different directions. But there is a plurality of leaders, and implied here, notice with me, in your Bibles, with it open, Hebrews, 7, Hebrews 10, 17, notice the word leader is plural. Leaders. In other words, other passages of Scripture we don't have time to look at this morning is that the church is to be led by a plurality of elders, men set apart to teach and preach the Word of God, not one senior pastor. In, in linguistic, there is only one chief pastor, and his name is Jesus. In other words, we ought to raise up a plurality of elder pastors to shepherd the church and the congregation, submit to them. Now, I want you to notice here, and here's the implication for church membership and church leaders. Number one, who are you to obey? I want you to think about that. Who are you to obey? Well, clearly in this passage is a defined group of people, isn't it? These leaders. Now, no doubt, here in Avon Park, there are a number of godly pastors in our community. Does it mean you're to submit to all of them? Well, no, this is implied that there is a particular group that you are in a relationship with, doesn't it? And that you ought to submit to them. Not to every pastor in Avon Park, but to a particular group of pastors. Secondly, he goes on to say, that for they keep a watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. Who are they giving an account for? Are the leaders mentioned here giving an account for every Christian in Avon Park? Not at all. But to those who are in covenant membership with that local church. Now you see why church membership is so important. 
is not only will you stand before King Jesus and he's going to ask you, did you obey and submit to your elders, what's Jesus going to ask the elders? Did you lead them in a way that was faithful? In other words, friend, what scares me about this verse, what might keep me up at night about this verse is I'm going to stand before King Jesus. Pastor Brett is going to stand before King Jesus. And every elder that is ever affirmed by this church is going to stand before Jesus one day on the day of judgment. And he's going to say, did you shepherd that church well? Did you lead them in the gospel? Did you preach and teach? Were you a good pastor? And this gives you some freedom, doesn't it? Ultimately, Jesus is going to get that pastor, all right? It's going to be all right. He's going to get him. Some takeaways. Local church membership must be committed. It has to be defined. It cannot be a come all, see all. It must be a particular people. There must be a list. Because you can't know who you're accountable for before Jesus if there's not such a role, a membership role, a formal role where we understand this is who I'm responsible for. And, 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 and friend, let me say it this way. If that person never attends this church, it is not fair to you to have to stand before Jesus and answer for them if they're not willing to be committed with you. And it's not fair to me or Pastor Brett or any other pastor to have to answer for somebody who's not willing to be committed We see also that it's defined, it's clear who's in and who's out. Church membership clarifies to the world, look, you are doing no service, this church is doing no service to non-Christians when we don't clarify who's in and who's out. By affirming those who have professed faith and are faithfully following Jesus. And then thirdly here, it's permission. Membership means permission. Permission for what? Look what it says. To keep watch over your souls. You see, when you join a church, you're, you're submitting to and you're giving permission for the elders to shepherd you. And my question for you is if you're not willing to submit to the elders to shepherd you, what are you doing here? Now, it is part of the responsibility of the pastors to shepherd well and to, and, and to help the sheep follow. But if you're just going to dig into the sand and say, no, I'm never going to follow that guy or that group of pastors, then you'll never flourish in this church. You never will. Because you'll always be in a going against the whole flock. So what's the big deal? Why should we put such an emphasis? Well, friends, because church membership is where we commit to love one another, to encourage one another, to guard one another, to help one another follow Jesus. Our goal in membership is simply this, that we want to help you collectively together obey Jesus and help you on your journey to the celestial city, to help you on your journey to heaven. That is our hope and our goal, simply for God's glory. Let's pray.
Father, we give you the glory this morning and pray that you would help us. Help us to, to, to see that what we've seen this morning is just a glimpse of, of the wonderful working of a life of a local church where we are committed to care and love and minister and to, to give sacrificially and to support one another. In all these ways, I pray that you would receive the glory for the great things you've done in our life and bringing us together. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.